The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. You know, there is some... Is that your phone going, Ben? Yes. Oh, shit. Uh, actually, can, sorry, can I just... You can. <laughs> So. <laughs> Tēnā koutou katoa, this has gone by lunchtime. I'm Toby Manhire. With me today, Ben Thomas, kia ora. Kia ora. And Polly Mather, kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you, Sam Robinson, for producing. No problem. Thank you to members for providing the sustenance sucker and the emotional support for the podcast that we're about to embark upon. Um, gone by lunchtime live in Christchurch, at Word Christchurch, on Sunday, August the 27th. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's our, this, is, this is the second league of our literary tour, which yeah. started in Tauranga last year. That's right. A slow, it's a slow-moving, rolling mall <laughs> in the orb. In the in the orb, yeah. The great, they're gone by lunchtime. Spre- spreading spreading literature orb. throughout and COVID the provinces. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's time we we're allowed maybe to do that now. Added some songs to our repertoire, like maybe a little live mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. we could do some kapa hugger. Mm. Or oh, I could play the spoons. Yeah. Uh, who knows what could happen? Today is August the sixteenth. 59 days to go to the election, to the 2023 oh, election. serious. Seems like... It seems like we were trying to figure out if it was 100 exactly. days or 99 days, exactly. like just a couple of yeah, weeks like two ago. weeks ago, which is quite... Uh, weird. Does that... It does feel weird. Does it feel weird to you, Ben? Is that right? Maybe it's wrong. No, it is right. No, it is right. I think it's wrong. Is no, it right? Because it's, right. it's just less than two months, isn't it? Because yeah. it's the 16th of August, 14th of October, and it goes August, September, October... Does it? I think so. This is exactly what you're going to get if you come to life by lunchtime in Christchurch. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to have a calendar on stage. We're just going to mark off each date one by one, and we will get to the bottom of this, and you'll see it live. Not many people are brave enough to do counting live on stage. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're going to do. What's we're, like, we're like science popularizers. We're like the Neil deGrasse yes. Tyson, Tyson yes. of arithmetic, yeah. <laughs> but for simpletons. <laughs> the, <laughs> the we're really in campaign time now. I went down to Wellington for a few days and went out on uh, Sunday to St Paul's Anglican Church Hall in the hut, the mighty hut, for Bondougal Palooza, which was where the Labour Party much awaited. Tax policy was unveiled, and you'll never guess. What? They are pledging to remove GST 
from fresh and frozen vegetables and fruit. Oh my God, it's like Nicola Willis is like matakite. Yeah, she is. She is the oracle. She's just channeling middle New Zealand who have been like... You know, like psychically crying out like the brainwaves of five million New Zealanders which have just been GST off That's fresh right. fruit and veggies and some frozen snap-locked ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. And the, I mean... The thing about it is, and this has been traversed a bit, so I and it, it was like we'll, it, it, it was not. like the beginning of the Amazing Race. You know, as soon as Chris Hipkins announced the policy, uh. all of the assembled journalists then like ran in pairs to local supermarkets yes. to grab as many yeah. produce and frozen yeah. items as they could yeah. to then present to Hipkins to ask whether it would be GST oh free God, or not. Oh God, it's so lame, isn't it? I'm so sick of that kind of coverage. No, no I'm into it. Well, I, I went to the supermarket oh yesterday. Oh. And it was like, it was like, you know, that Terminator vision, you know, just like numbers that are running down the the right hand side of my field as I like looked at celery, looked at grapes. I was like, "Mm, look straightforward enough. And then I saw a coconut with like a straw wrapped in with it. And I was like, value added, value added, value added. I was like, I I am flying down to Wellington. (laughs) I I am knocking on the door of Premier House. I'm like, what about the coconut? Like. The podcast is GST free because there is no value added. <laughs> like. I had, I've been working on a, I've been working on a, a topical football joke, oh. which is uh, why do you have to pay GST on the losing team in last night's semi final? Why? Because the Spaniards desiccated the Swedes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So clever and hilarious. Well done, Tobe. I like that. This year, cold open, Sam. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, I think go with the other cold open, Sam. Oh, fuck! (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, all of the stuff had been traversed at length because Nicola Willis announced the policy in the distant mists of time. Hundreds and, of days ago. And, and, of course, it had already been thoroughly discounted by the finance minister, yeah, Grant Robertson. Yeah, tax working group. The finance, and, and, and Grant Robertson knew that he was walking into that on Sunday, and he came in with a good line. You know, he's always good for a good line. He said, I don't rep- represent myself as any kind of saint, but I've been on my own road to Damascus when it comes to the announcements <laughs> we're making today. And there were crates of apples under the stairs. You know, it was pretty good. <laughs> there was no doubt about, about what was going on. And then it kind of, and then equally inevitably, of course, as you say, it came to this question of whether or not quick and easy, tasty mini beats qualified as GST. What does, what doesn't? All of the previous historic criticism came out. Chris Hipkins went to bed on Sunday night having fever dreams with big, fresh, animatronic vegetables in various <laughs> states of vacuum pack. <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then it looks like what happened is they quite quickly on Monday after Lloyd Burr started producing, about the time Lloyd, Lloyd Burr was producing um, mini beets and basil plants <laughs> from a new world bag in the post camp press conference, they seemed to expedite the policy on paid parental leave to try and get get back on the on the, on the front foot. But 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 Annabelle, this was inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, do you think? That the coverage has been too harsh. Do you think the idea of GST of fresh fruit and vegetables and frozen fruit and vegetables has not been adequately given time? Obviously, the government were going to 
be criticised over it because for six years they've told us that it was far too complicated and difficult yeah. to do. So there was always going to be some, you know, backing down and ass covering that would happen. I think my frustration with some of the coverage is that it feels quite elitist. Um, you know, people are saying, oh, how many dollars a week will poor people save, according to The Economists? About four, six, isn't it? Six dollars a week. Based 12. on what, 70? That's, it's actually, that seems like quite a lot. That's based on $66 worth of fresh fruit and vegetables. Well, that, it's $24 a month if you're a p- poor person. Oh, no, wait, sorry, and no, actually, no, when you're stony broke and you're living in a car, yeah. $24 is two hot water bottles and a loaf of bread. Like, it might not make a lot of difference for people on high incomes, but it actually does make a difference for poor people. And yes, it's actually quite a small gesture because, frankly, if Labor had taken meaningful action on breaking up the supermarket duopoly, which is not only rotting whānau every time they go by kai, but also the producers of fruit and vegetables actually who are constantly getting squeezed by them. We wouldn't actually need this, but in the absence of any of that, this is something. And that's one of the one of the signposts on the road to Damascus that Grant Robertson said he's walked, which is this grocery commissioner, which is if they'd, in their mind, the best way this would have played out would be this is at once offering a very direct advantage to people who, as Hipkins puts it, go to the supermarket and can't afford to buy what, you know, their essential fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables. But also, this grocery commissioner will come in and whip the supermarkets. Maybe Sam Uffendale should be the grocery commissioner, because he is aware that Maybe cheese Lloyd is expensive. <laughs> ben, uh, quickly on GST, because I think people are probably sick of the subject, but then also there were other things in the package so, so, too. So, so the argument isn't like whether it's good for poor people to have $6 off their vegetables, right? The, the the argument against it is, well, first of all, there's the tax complexity. Don't we want a simple system? You know, why don't we, as Toby Manhire wrote in the spinoff, you know, uh, tampons are also essential, so are pads, you know, all you know, hygiene products. Uh, Whack GST electricity. off them. Nappies, electricity. Um, other kinds of food that aren't fresh fruit and vegetables is the Māori Party. It's the Māori Party's policy, yeah, yep. which is at least much more expensive, but in a way, you know. So well, can I say that we're constantly going on about how much better everything is in Australia and how we're losing all these people to Australia? And Australia is a high wage economy. And listen, this is what's GST free food in Aussie bread and bread rolls. Cooking ingredients such as flour, sugar, premixes, cake mixes, fats and oils, unflavoured milk, cream, cheese, eggs, spices, sauces, condiments, bottled water, fruit and veg, tea and coffee, baby food, infant formula, basically all of your staples. So, you know, if it's good enough for Australia, why is it not okay and the, for us? And the counter argument to that is that you end up with these endless scrolls of different products that are or aren't, you end up with it going to court, as they've had in Ireland, the UK and Australia, over whether a particular flatbread qualifies as, you know, the, the and and I know that there's this the tax purist thing, but it is also true that in terms of if you want to sheet home the advantage to lower and middle income people, it's the evidence is pretty clear that you provide it through direct payment to the people rather than subsidising fruit and vegetables where it gets swallowed up in other ways. And it's worth mentioning that in on Sunday, getting lost in all the all the mini beets and the coconuts and the and the basil plants were two other measures. One is an increase in the in tax in work tax credit and the other is 
lifting the uh, working for families abatement, although that doesn't kick in until mm. till 2026. And the other thing is that, so the, the, the abatement is an important issue because the whole point of working for families you know, when it was launched was this in-work tax credit. You know, there's a few other credits which are just sort of, you know, having a kid credit and that kind of thing. But the in-work tax credit is if you're a, if you're a, <coughs> a parent who's on a benefit and you work, I think, a minimum number of hours, I think it was 10 hours a week or so, you qualify for the in-work tax credit and that's like an extra payment of money. So it's sort of, they're saying, you know, it's it's about, you know, this is the value of being in work because that, gives you good habits, it means you'll you keep in touch with the workforce, you're more likely to be able to return to work full time after your kids are older. And the abatement rate means that once you hit a certain level of income because you've increased your hours or because the minimum wage has increased, which has been a big factor you know, under this government, once you hit a certain level of income, which I think currently this is about $38,000 in the year, then your payments from your benefits, including the in-work tax credit and, and other benefits, starts to abate. So for every dollar you earn, you lose yep. you know, a, a large part of your benefit. And and so it discourages work beyond a certain point, which of course is very contrary to the intent of working for families. Um, and it also means, you know, yeah, it means you know more work doesn't get you ahead. And so, you know, this is an important measure. At the same time, I think I read Thomas Coughlin, who's crunched the numbers in the Herald, he said that by 2026, it won't have even kept up with inflation. Up, yeah. um, and, and, you know, yeah, we've been waiting for this Well, it's for a like a time. lot of these questions about whether or not you pegged to inflation, and if so, what inflation, everything from benefits, which are now, to tax, tax, tax brackets, which yeah. is the National Party's policy, which now will come under scrutiny already. They're being asked, when's yours coming out? Show, show, you know, now it's time for you to show us your tax policy. They're saying in the coming weeks. So we're back in that kind of loop of what, what is it, what is a few weeks. Um, their policy being to uh, move the tax brackets, whether or not they peg them permanently to inflation. I'm not sure if that will be the policy. Um, the next day, the paid parental leave policy, did that seize back the initiative successfully. I, I, I again uh, went along to that and Chris Hipkins was at the Brooklyn Kindergarten and tell you what, he looked genuinely happy. Like He, he, he obviously <laughs> really did relish being in, he talked about how he used to enjoy doing that as Minister of Education. There was talk of filling buckets and he definitely filled his buckets there. And there was, although he was, he was handed a picture book to read, which <laughs> cruelly was structured around a list of different uh, groceries. <laughs> <laughs> but, Nelly and her jelly, guy and his pie. <laughs> but, so, so that did again seem a bit like the fever dream is continuing. But that's that's after what happened with Nicola Willis's members bill being 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 squashed. Um, that did feel a bit like Labour back onto good territory. The, the the pledge here is that four weeks for partner leave to go mm. on top, paid leave to go on top of the two unpaid that's already there. Again, it's staggered out so that it doesn't, the full four weeks doesn't kick in until 2026, mm. which is like sort of, this election is so far a lot about 2026. It's like a, it's like a three year cusp of something special that's playing <laughs> out until 2026. Um, and this is all as a result of the deteriorating state of the government's books. That's and, right. And the sort of lack of sort of available money that's yeah. been put aside. And having to do prudence. Budgets. We have yeah. 
having to, and so so yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a, a it's like a it's like a and Hipkins like a, is re- a very Robertson. delayed lolly scramble. <laughs> that's right. And Hipkins and Robertson have really ramped up that rhetoric about oh, there's not much money. Oh, we've got to be very careful. This is a low spending election because they want to be able to paint National as fiscally irresponsible mm. when the tax policy comes out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so they, they've really kind of gone back into that direction, you know, after their sort of um, GST spree and that kind of thing. The, the interesting thing I thought, I think part of the reason they probably pivoted so fast was, you know, when I saw one of their online pieces of collateral marketing for it, I, I thought it was an attack ad from another party. You know, and it was like, you know, coming soon. It was like, you know, one kilogram of carrots, currently $2.99. Right. <laughs> so soon, $2.61. And I, I was like, you know, it, it brought back memories of, you know, Michael Cullen's infamous uh, chewing gum budget where he, they chewing promised tax budget. cuts yeah. and then it turned out to be sort of 20 cents a week for some people. And, um, you know, I, I think there's something slightly sort of counterproductive about that kind of marketing. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Speaking of marketing that's counterproductive, did you see that ad that ACT had as a billboard which had Winston Peters on it with one of his massive Cheshire grins and the words, what were the words? Oh, don't be fooled again. Mm. That's right. And so the intention, it's, you know, it's black and white and, you know, he's clearly mid-laughter, you know, so the intention, I think, meant to be sinister laugh. Yeah, we've got this uh, maniacal laughter from, you know, Winston Peterson, don't be fooled again by this, this guy, but... If you just sort of casually look at it, you say, oh, smiling old Winston. Yeah, don't looks, be fooled again. That's the, we need that's New the, Zealand first. Back. <laughs> that sounds like, like a massive own goal, eh? That, yeah. like, to most people who see it, they think exactly that, that it's Winston warning them off voting for, and, for everyone and else. And also reveals something about their nerves, right? Like... Doing an attack yeah. ad on another, like the, they should be, and it's what it's what Christopher Luxon has been trying to convey is a kind of nonchalance and indifference mm. about New Zealand First. Mm. They're only bowling two or three. When actor like going for him hard, you know that they're that they're probably seeing some of their vote slip away to him. I don't know. I mean, they're, I, they're still holding up, the, but they're. I mean, he's he's now in. He's at five or five or five of thereabouts in the polls. What's Peters, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's hard. It's always hard to tell what the sort of undercurrents of movements in the polls are. But you know, ACT aren't sort of noticeably down in the the polls. Their 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 numbers are holding up very consistently, sort of around eleven or twelve. 
yeah, I think I think national New Zealand First voters sort of is tend to I think it seems to be coming from sort of Labour and and some of those other little parties that were all kind of getting near one percent, mm. but. I think yeah, I, th- I think the worry for ACT is not so much that he eats into their vote. It's it's that ACT and National won't be able to right. form a government without Peter's support, which would be disastrous for and, ACT. And one of the polls, I think, it, it was was it was only like a point one percent away. There's the Guardian from, one, I think, yeah, uh, from that being the case, Annabelle. And so at that point, the whole coalition of chaos line being the mirror being held up against. Labour, Greens, and Te Party Māori just shatters, doesn't it? Because uh, if you uh, if your your alternative is Winston Peters, David Seymour, and Christopher Lux, and then you isn't that much the same? Yeah, I think it's a hard one to defend. Uh, it's interesting too that like Luxon was quick to rule out Te Party Māori, mm. even though I, mean, I realise it. This Te Pāti Māori is different from Te Pāti Māori of old. Mm. Um, but they have a track record of being very good coalition partners, yet he was very quick to rule them out and much more reluctant to rule out working with Winston. In terms of Winston and how he's polling, you know, unless his vote seriously picks up, I think it's going to be problematic for him and the polling booth because... It's a bit of a risk voting for New Zealand First if you're not 100% sure that they're going to get in. I dare say people might prefer to vote more safely towards ACT or or National, who are basically offering the same stuff that Winston is. There's nothing sort of new or exceptional that he's got on the table. And so even though it looks like he's rising in the polls when people have that come-to-Jesus moment in the polling booth, they may prefer to vote safely. But now that he is up around that 5% mark, some of that is assuaged, and he is is definite, you know, there is a real sense that he is just sort of hovering, just throwing out a few few nibbles for the quote-unquote fringe right. The, the real one will be if, he, if in the blah, TV blah, blah. polls he hits 5%. Right, yeah. You know, that, that's the real... He's hit 5% in only, only one of the reputable polls, which is the taxpayer union one, <coughs> um, what I call the reputable polls. If, and look, not desirable for National or Act, uh, but if he continues to take votes off Labour, probably fine. Uh... Chris Lux, Christopher Luxon will probably be thinking he missed his chance uh, in terms of ruling him out. You know, he did. There, there were, there were, there's always a bit of nervousness uh, since John Key successfully ruled him out and that pushed him out of Parliament. One of the times John Key ruled him out, he he mm. returned to Parliament though. Was that 2011? I think, maybe. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he. he, he you know, there, there is this nervousness of, well, what if we need him? It's like, well, if you need him, maybe it's better to not go into government and just wait for the I collapse. Just, I, of- it's just there's another way of doing it, which John Key also did, which he, and I listened back to this a few weeks ago when, when I was thinking about all this, and John Key said, look, it is absolutely not our preference to work with Winston Peters. Our preference is a stable da 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 if necessary, we may explore that route. But at least there was some, and it was done. Do you mean you know? like be honest? 
<laughs> well, yeah, I'm just, and just, practical. I just think I mean, it's a bit like the the, the way that Key uh, was the first to introduce Toby that gonna we're going to say what the election date is. You know, it's just this is yeah. MP. We're just going to say what the election date is at the start of the year, and let's go. And I'm just going to say what the, what everybody knows anyway. Mm. So I feel as though, in a way, maybe it doesn't matter. In a way, Luxon is being evasive and saying it's not a thing, it's not a thing, it's not a thing, when it's clearly a thing, rather than just saying obviously it's not a. Well, Presumably, that, the reality of that is it's not our preference, but if push comes to shove, then we'll have to see. I, I Which is the case I, for everyone I, on every combination, right? It's certainly the case for New Zealand first when they rule people out. Well, in the past, it has been. The, the interesting thing is that, you know, in, in Christopher Luxon's defence, because I and a number of people have said, you know, you want to rule him out, that will help drive down the vote. There is another argument, which actually is that John Key ruling out New Zealand first didn't didn't drive down their vote, and that if you look at history, both times New Zealand first has gone out of Parliament yep. have been times that it has been two fact two interlinking factors. The one it has been a partner in government. Mm which obviously isn't good for an anti-establishment party, and two, its donations have been investigated by the Serious Fraud Office. So, <laughs> and those are the two times that it tends to go yep. out. Yep. So currently there's no Serious Fraud Office investigation in sight, and we're only you know, nine weeks out or whatever. Uh, so it could be that ruling them out you know, wouldn't actually have the desired effect. That's the defence of true. Christopher Luxon. And there has been outrage among ACT supporters about the about the billboards, you know, why are you coming out and attacking Winston? I saw a clip on, on Twitter the other day of an outrage caller oh. on Talkback um, ripping shreds off, off ACT for, for going Was it Talkback or Reality after... Check Radio? No, it wasn't Reality <laughs> Check Radio. Um, let's just talk very, very, very briefly about the Greens, who we haven't talked a lot about, and since the Elizabeth Kerekere um, debacle, they've been getting their campaign quite well-ordered. Uh, the Kirikiri um, valedictory speech, I think, is either today or tomorrow, so who knows what might be um, be uh, pulled out of the, the history bag on that one. But they've been doing policy launches on Sundays, kind of consistently for the last five or six weeks. This, on Sunday uh, last, it was a um, home energy hmm. grant uh, paid for out of their wealth tax, which, of course, is... Uh, not going to happen, but there is this. They've now they're very disciplined in there. Whenever they get asked that question, they give you they give back the same line, which is every vote that we get will increase our opportunity to influence, and no one can sit since you know to to sort of to to put everyone to sleep. But that's fine. That works. They're not getting drawn into that, and they're just but they've set themselves up as a very available stall for disaffected Labour voters who are saying. Why are you chippy? Why why aren't you going harder? Why aren't you re, re, restructuring the tax system? Any other thoughts on the on the on the greens? I like their dental policy as well. Right, that looks like a proper, substantial shift. A sort of paradigm. They, 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 they want to do paradigm shift stuff in politics, while the the others are kind of. Sometimes it's like Labour and National are two bald men fighting over a comb, mm. you know? It's just, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, it's such a weird anomaly in our health system that will we'll take care of your heart, we'll give you brain surgery, you know, we'll amputate your leg, but we can't touch your teeth. It's so weird and it has such a massive impact yeah. in terms of overall health and well-being. And, of course, another area where poor people, I mean, the stories that we've done 
people sitting at home ripping out their own teeth with pliers because they can't afford dental care, mm. literally, is well, well, horrific. So I think it's a great policy. And there's also um, some optimism there about Rongatai particularly, maybe Wellington Central as well. There's some suggestions. Yeah, they reckon Tamitha's got a very good chance. Eh? Done in some, some, some polling they've done in Rongatai suggesting that it's neck and neck mm. um, with um, Julian Jenter and, and Fleur Times. So I don't know, Ben, I mean, is, is, is the Greens sort of the quiet achiever of this campaign so far? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've certainly rolled out more policy to lesser claim, I think, than every, all, all four or five parliamentary parties. Yeah. They enact, to be fair, both put down their tax policy early on and said, right, that's there. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're less vulnerable to the prefu or whatever because they can't, you know, it's like they're not, they're not going to be in charge of... In, in in charge of the treasury, but still, we're just we're just going to crank and we're just going to crank up the wealth tax, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the the putative wealth tax. Um, yeah, it's an internally, it's a relatively internally co- consistent um, set of policies. If you were wanting to advance a left wing agenda or a government that was advancing a left wing agenda, you would probably be looking to vote for the Greens. Um, to party Maori still. Not really clear what they want to do in government, apart from sort of, you know, um, send encouraging messages to Putin <laughs> in this invasion of the Ukraine. They've got or whatever. some good policies, to be um, fair. They, they've been rolling out some some policies yeah. too. I mean, I mean, John Tomahiri. What was the one John Tomahiri got very cross that people weren't paying attention? That was to the neutrality it? one. Oh, it was the, the yeah. foreign policy. I love that one. It's a great policy. Mm. Um, and. F- GST, GST of all fruit, uh, of all kind. All food, GST, all food. no more GST. Um, there was, let's, there was, in the house yesterday, and in kind of the parliamentary politics generally, it does feel quite tetchy and quite tense. I don't know if you've seen some of the exchanges. There was when Willie Jackson had a go at Chris Bishop after Bishop had brought up the the, the Deborah Russell's historic. Um, positions on tax, which have now been contracted by the Labour, and Willie Jackson said, get it through your thick head to him <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, and uh, Chris Hipkins responded to a question from David Seymour saying that the question was racist. And this is the sort of stuff that normally doesn't happen in, 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 in parliamentary etiquette. And there are no, and, and of course but you're prevented from sort of calling people yeah, racist. Standing or, orders. And then the, but the big one was the, was this, the Nicola Willis-Grant-Robertson uh, antagonism in which Grant Robertson was on Newstalk ZB and called Nicola Willis a liar over and over again. Heather Duplessis Allen was sort of saying, don't say liar, because that's, that's one of the words that does kind of prick up the ears of, of, of lawyers. Um, and it was in response to Nicola Willis theorising about whether or not an error in a fact sheet about the GST changes was the result of a disagreement between Chris Hipkins and Grant Robertson. And, I mean, there isn't any evidence to suggest that that was the case. The response, though, probably was informed by some sensitivity about perceptions of there being differences, some of which we know about, like over the tax switch with the Welsh tax, Wealth tax, almost certainly over the fruit and veggie thing. Yeah, Robertson particularly, Willis seems to be getting under his skin 
um, in Parliament, you know, uh, prior to uh the announcement of the gst tax uh, the gst policy i think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago in the house um willis asked a few questions which you know robertson was batting off jovially and um and she you know posited she asked a question to the finance minister saying you know why hasn't he resigned if there's going to be a gst uh gst free um, policy, you know, in the same way David Parker has, is it because one minister is a man of principle and the other is not? And Robertson went off, you Sick know, burn. and it, you, you know, you can tell that, you know, look, elections are very, um, they're a very raw time for politicians, particularly in the case of a government that you know c- currently looks like they are on track to lose, and that is a very clarifying, well, it's it's actually not a clarifying experience. I think it it creates a lot of sort of, you know, vagueness, sort of fog of war. Um, I think ministers, you know, sometimes they feel like, you know, they haven't been appreciated enough for what they've done. You know, they look at the polling, they look at everything they've gone through, particularly, say, the COVID times, and and they just sort of think, what what is this all for? (laughs) Like, why is, you know, um, and 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 I think we're really seeing it in some of the Labour ministers right now, particularly Robertson, and and particularly because you know, as you say, say these are not positions that he hold, you know, he he would naturally hold in terms of the policy that he has to promote as the finance spokesperson for Labour during the campaign. I think you can you can measure that he feels some pressure, and no doubt there's been a lot that he's been involved with that has <laughs> brought that pressure and that uh, when he was in his when if he were in his finest form he would have he would have destroyed that with a joke yeah. you know he he's he's very he's one of the best orators in New Zealand politics yeah and he's very funny with off the cuff comedy and you know the you like that yeah. Damascene the Damascene conversion line was a very good way of kind of taking the sting out of yeah. something uh, and so I don't think I don't think that Nicola Willis and National will be too distraught at him going at them in, in, in ways like that. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, they, they would take that as you know as a huge victory. You know, getting under the skin in question time. Yeah, you have to feel for him because you know one of his pet policies, the the um, employment, the job insurance. Yeah. You know, gone. Deferred. Deferred. 2026, baby. Wealth tax that would, you know, allow him to come up with some, you know, winning policies Mm. heading into the election. Uh, No, gone. So, I mean, he's, he's got such a tough job at the moment. That's actually a really great point, right? Which is that thank you. If if you feel that this these are the sort of twilight hours of this government, and and they potentially are, you know, nothing set in stone, obviously, but you are you are looking at you know people like Robertson and you know Michael Wood before him, and uh, you know certainly Chris Hipkins. These are guys who spent their entire lives trying to get where they are. You know, with a very particular view of what they want to do, they're not they're not sort of national MPs, so it's sort of like oh, I think I'd just be the best manager of the economy kind mm. of thing. They, you know, they 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 come in with a sort of social democratic kind of blueprint that they want, you know, and ways they want to achieve it. And some of them are looking down the barrel, yeah, of of it just not happening. You know, if if they lose, fair pay agreements are gone. You know, if they lose the National Built Environment Act, you know, the crowd, the pinnacle of David Parker's sort of 
political career as this kind of policy cosmic brain gone, right? And That's a very unpopular policy with Māori, but you know. Oh, very unpopular and, with and, many, many people. And but. You, you know, I think, I think there's really something in that because for so many of this generation of politician, they were forged in the fire of the fourth Labour government Yep. And the national government that followed. You know, out at Lower Hutt on Sunday, there were all the Labour Prime Ministers who are, of course, invoked. The other person who's invoked, Ruth Richardson, twice, you know? Wow. Like, yeah. last year in the budget when Grant Robertson pushed up benefit rates, yes. he spoke direct from the heart, from the soul, about how that was his kind of his defining purpose almost in mm. politics. It's a really important thing. And then when you get to a situation where you're in that that forever dilemma of politics, which is you can't do anything if you don't win. Mm. And look, I'm not saying that there, that there were there were locked horns or anything, but there were clearly some differences in emphasis from the new Prime Minister and Grant Robertson, mm. who probably could have been Prime Minister. And that, to me, speaks to the moment that we're in now, that whether or not that job <laughs> of trying to reverse things from... 35 years ago, you know, uh, uh, whether, whether that project has been a successful one. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, you think about even on a personal level, how did, what was Chris Hipkins' entree into politics? What was Grant Robertson's entree into politics? It was, you know, stopping cuts at universities. And, you know, they've had to preside over what have been big cuts at universities, you know, not, not well, through their fault, yeah. you know, things like... Um, you know, COVID obviously in the international students yeah. has been the, the major factor there. But it, it, yeah, you know, this is sort of, we really are coming into kind of dark night of the soul territory for people who have been senior figures in this government. Mm. So staring down a, a potential defeat, um, you know, with a lot of, a lot of half done work, a lot of, uh, you know, delayed work. And, you know, again, you know, lots of intervening factors. COVID, New Zealand first in the first term, stopping any kind of anything happening. Mm. Um, Although I think the last look, term dispels the, 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 um, the narrative that they couldn't get stuff done because of New Zealand first, because to be fair, they've now had three years and not got, yeah, with no handbrake and not got anything done. I mean, uh, clearly it is a dark night of the soul. They're in a very tough place. I don't think all hope is lost. I think Willie Jackson made a really good point on his interview with The Nation the other week about how despite all the shit mm. that they've been through over the last few months, which it's just been a horrific time, their polling hasn't completely collapsed. Yes, there's a worrying um, pattern, but n n hope is not lost. I think and I think once you get into the campaign proper, um, we will see the best of Hipkins, and I think he'll really put it to Luxon, and, and Luxon may struggle. That, that's right, and I think that is I think that is the hope that they cling to now because I think that's a great point by Willie Jackson. I think it's absolutely true. We've said this before. If you hadn't looked at any polls but you'd been looking at politics, if you'd had some kind of sort of strange uh, condition which meant you were unable to look at polls since the start of this year and you were told to say where would the parties be I think you would put national a fair bit in front whether that's because they've failed to capitalize or whether there's a lag <laughs> is, <laughs> is I guess what we'll we'll find out so very quickly just to just Actually, to, could, just, can we just quickly can I just come in on something Annabelle was talking about, which was Willie Jackson's not interview. If, not if you're disagreeing with me. No, no, I'm not. Okay. I, I thought that was a good interview by... <laughs> I actually thought that was a pretty good interview by Willie. 
And the last time I saw Willie was when we were both on Marae, um, uh, probably three or four months ago. And he he really had me up. He was pretty steamed about a column I had written at the end of the year saying that Willie Jackson is the biggest political risk in the ministry to the Labour government in the mm. election year. It's like Wood saw it and Nash saw it and was like, hold my beer, guys. Yeah, and, and he said, oh, how's I, how I a risk? How's I a risk? And I tried to explain the column and stuff. And look, I just want to say history has totally vindicated Willie. He was right. I was right. He, he's not even in the top. No, he's not even in the top fucking like, two-thirds. Like, <laughs> I, I want to say a heartfelt apology, apology to Willie Jackson. Um, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. Hey, look, we've got to, we've got to go very quickly. We, we have failed to take on the most – people say there's no vision in this campaign, but the National are promising to ban cell phones in schools. Is that not – like, that's – it's at once it's, – obviously I'm joking about vision, but great retail politics – Oh yeah, people love it. I love it. I don't have kids. I don't care, but I love it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, get those little shits off TikTok. I mean, it's really just a shift in emphasis, right? From the or, or you know, the starting point is no cell phones, rather than the starting point is cell phones, and then the schools will be allowed to make up their own minds. What do you think, Annabelle? My theory on this is that it, that parents love it, partly because they don't love the idea of that, but also but it managed to assuage the guilt of the parent where their kids are constantly on their screens and they're like, yes, it's about time that something was done about this. Parents, parents, <laughs> parents love it until they need to text their kid at lunchtime yeah, yeah. and say, you know, nanny's picking you up today because yeah. I can't get there. I mean, it's clever in terms of, you know, it's a type of policy you can create that doesn't cost anything, that gets everyone mm. talking. Um, it's actually... Uh, I don't know how much consultation they've done with schools, but I'm not sure that all schools are huge fans of it. Frankly, I would like to extend it to the workplace. Like, I would yeah. love to have my phone taken off me between nine and five. Yeah. feel like I get a lot more done. Do you know, I interviewed Stephen Joyce in the studio last week, and in the course of the interview, he checked his phone about 100 times. <laughs> it's like, mate, stop doing that. It's He's not the, hearing this because he reflex, doesn't listen to podcasts. You know? He's a, yeah. so that's, but, um, yeah, um, okay, let's ban all of that. The the, um, the the other thing about it is, you know, yeah, it doesn't cost anything, broadly popular, um, and also, you know, kind of it sort of reinforces this idea, you know, the same as sort of one-hour compulsory reading and writing and arithmetic. It's that sort of you know, back to basics, you know. I mean, you know, this isn't all about, you know, learning diff different modes of learning through your devices. This I hope like, the video and can see that Annabelle is literally <laughs> scrolling her phone well, while you speak. I've got a meeting and I'm like, oh, God, I just realised oh, that I'm, I'm now late. Thanks. Okay, let's wrap it up, Sam. You can give this podcast out in about 36 hours once you edit out all the libels. Kia ora. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.